Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next minute. Welcome back to the Basement Fellow Music Lovers here. We're now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm yours, Kevin, as usual, and we're so happy to have you back down here with us. Got a great show for you today. We're going to be revisiting yet another classic record in our Discologist series. And uh, this time it happens to be one that is near and dear to my heart, Radiohead's Pablo Honey. Now, when that was released back in 1993, you, you know, grunge had exploded and Nirvana had changed the musical landscape, some say. And uh, we were seeing a whole different wave of bands coming in that were influenced by that and, uh, and some other things. A lot of them were English. Britpop Brit had a great time uh, during this time period, but... The Radiohead was one of the bigger ones, and um, and they were they were knocking at the door, and then their mega hit Creep came out. We know uh, because we study history that Creep is legitimately what made them famous. They had a little um, they didn't like that for a while, but now, now they've come to terms with that. But uh, but despite what your possibly ill-informed friends may have told you, uh, the rest of the album around that is actually uh, not just quite good. It's one of their best albums. And it's, in my opinion, the seeds for all their future genius. And then so we uh, put together a panel, and uh, I got Drew Wright down here, got Marcus Dowling, got Eduardo down here, uh, and Philip Bass Knight from Burke Royals right here in D.C., so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but real quick, before that, I want to I wanna talk about something sort of serious. Now, you know, uh, our little tagline is music and nothing but, and I think if you've been listening to us or follow us, you know that's... That's kind of bullshit. Um, we uh, we are citizens of the world, and we are concerned citizens of the world. And the events in Parkland, Florida, uh, broke our hearts as well as everybody else's. Um, and and I guess what it comes down to is, guys, we've got to have gun reform, and and we've got to have it now. Um, like I said, we're a music podcast. Doesn't mean we exist in an alternate reality. And the reality is that through the inaction of our elected leaders and the agenda of terrorist organization like the NRA, uh, we, as in our generation, my generation, the older generation, um, we, we haven't just put our children and, and, and our future generations in jeopardy. Uh, we're responsible for them being killed in schools, uh, at concerts, uh, everywhere, and, and, and that blood is on all of our hands um, because this is happening in places where, where we're supposed to be safe. As you know, last week in, uh, in Parkland, Florida, 17 people died. 14 kids, 3 educators. And that is because we have failed them. Every time this happens, uh, though, there's a false narrative, um, a spin on something that, that should not be spinnable, uh, of what we can and can't do in the face of this completely preventable evil. For the first time, though, and this, uh, you know, this is... I, I didn't cry when I heard the news about the school shooting um, because uh, we're so used to it. But seeing these children, uh, and I say children, they're not children. Uh, they're, they're, they're tremendous humans. 
talk about this uh, broken tears a lot of times over the past few days. Um, but seeing them speak out against it um, rather than us so-called adults uh, has been has been tremendous. And, and basically the gist is is that they're not having it and they, and they shouldn't have it. I want to play you a little part, though, in case you hadn't heard it. We're going to put a link to the whole interview in the show notes. But um, a student uh, by the name of Cameron Caskey was on NPR last week. Um, talking about that shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Uh, he is a survivor and, uh, quite frankly, lays out a clear way to end this horror show and end it now. Uh, so real quick before we get to Radiohead, I want you to listen to what this uh, this brave uh, young man has to say. So here's Cameron uh, talking to NPR. You have now written an essay um, that was published by CNN, and it is called My Generation Won't Stand for This. What does it say? The op-ed piece that I wrote for them discusses at first what happened with my brother and I, but then what we can do now. Because the main focus of this for me is fixing this, because this has happened too many times. And I'm very aware that Every time this happens, people say this has happened too many times. But unfortunately, it took it hitting me right at home for me to want to do something about it. And I'm not going to stop. The community just took 17 bullets to the heart. And our lawmakers, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio, they have the blood of 17 people on their hands. And we are not apologizing for telling them that they're gone. It's over with them. It's time to put lawmakers in positions who are not taking money from the NRA and are not fostering and promoting this gun culture that's allowing things like this to happen and allowing mentally troubled teens like Nicholas Cruz to buy guns. He was 19 years old and he bought it legally. Forget everything that was going on in his head. Forget the fact that the police were called on him so many times. He was 19 and he bought an AR-15, which is a weapon of war. You don't need an AR-15 to keep your house safe. And that's why... Many of my friends and I have started an online community called Never Again MSD. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the, the name of Marjorie your Stoneman Douglas, yes. And we are very thankful for all the support we're getting. As bad as this situation is, it really shows that there are people around here who are doing great things and who care and who are listening and who are as angry and hurt as we are and who are ready to do something about it. What do you say to people who say, don't politicize this, it's too soon? It's too late. It's too late. It's never too soon. The second this happened, it became too late. And to those who say we can't politicize this, they don't understand that if we don't politicize it, no action is going to come from this. We need to start moving now. And as much as we love thoughts and prayers, we don't need them from our lawmakers. We need action and we demand it and we're going to get it. How does this go from a Facebook group and an outpouring of support to something. It's the people. It's going to be the people who have been able to speak out and help that are going to make this happen. Because we already have support. We're going to get things done. We're going to show them in the polls. The midterm elections are coming up. And unfortunately, I'm not a Russian computer, so I can't vote yet. But I can inspire people to vote and I can get people punishing those who have hurt us. Cameron Kasky is a junior at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Thanks for your time. Thank you.
are powerful words, and um, you know, there's a whole <laughs> there's an old saying: "Keep it simple, stupid." And and this is the and 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 that is the solution, I think, for this: keep it simple, focus on what we know the problem to be. Not the all all the pro- you know mental health abuse, whatever. These are all problems that are around it. But the simple fact is um, is that we should not be able to purchase guns like AR-15s. Um, we uh, should not be able to purchase guns, period, without uh, extensive and stringent background checks. Uh, these are very simple things that are that have been subverted uh, not by, uh, you know, not by people wishing good upon the public, but by people wishing profit. And uh, as you heard Cameron say, uh, time's up, it's over. And uh, these these kids are going to be voting soon and running for office, and there's our future. And hopefully we will uh, we will get there um, before people my age and I keep trying to stop it. But anyways, uh, powerful words and stuff that we just can't seem to come by. But the kids have got it. So I encourage you to keep up with Cameron and uh, follow. They started an organization. Um, it's uh it's at Never Again MSD on Twitter. And more importantly, speak up and speak out on this uh, wherever you can. If you've got a music podcast, you can do it. If you've got a podcast about cheese, you can do it. If you've got a Twitter handle, you can do it. If you've got a Facebook post, or you can just walk out of your front door or lift up your window and yell uh, that we need to end uh, this this horror show now. Um, you know, and in the meantime, you know, I'm seeing you know they were on the Sunday morning programs. And uh, it looks like there's marches being organized. There's going to be one here in Washington, D.C. Uh, if, you know, go to the march. Be there. We have to end this. We have to end this. Because, look, we will likely never, as human beings, stop killing each other. In many ways, that is who we are. But knowing that we damn sure don't need to facilitate that, uh and 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 put these weapons in the hands of people uh, who might have this impulse uh, to make their job easier is is just it's just fucking common sense. Come on, we don't have a voice in this city. Um, we don't have a vote, um, so all we can do is yell and and raise awareness. Uh, it's you listeners outside of here, DC, that can can put people in office that are going to do this, and uh, we're counting on you. Um, in fact, people like Jamie Gutenberg was 14. Martin uh, Angiano was 14. Aaron Feiss was 37. Gino Monotalo was 14. Alyssa Aldaf, 14. Scott Bagel, 35. Nicholas Dwart, 17. Christopher Hickson was 49. Luke Hoyer was 15. Carmen Shentrup was 16. Meadow Pollock was 18. Joaquin Oliver was 17. Alina Perry was 14. Kara. Lawfern is 14. Alexander Schechter is 14 years old. Peter Wang is 15. And Helena Ramsey. Those people are all dead now because we can't do the right thing. That and 189 other people, children and educators, have been killed uh, in school shootings. 146 since fucking 2000 alone, since year 2000. So, um, it's time to do something. And, uh, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about it for right now. So, thanks for m- indulging me on this little detour here, and 
Now let's head on down to the basement. And we're going to join your regularly scheduled programming already in progress. You guys ready to uh, to educate some motherfuckers? Yeah. All right. So, uh, because, Eduardo, you and I have wanted to do this for a long time. Paul <laughs> challenged us to do this for a long time because Paul has the worst opinion on the album we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Paul uh, is the wrongest about about most things. And, and, <laughs> about, and, and Pablo about, Honey is no about, exception. About most things. But, but you know, we're all, I think, in this room, Radiohead fans. And in this room right now are myself, Eduardo. Uh, Drew Wright, welcome. You, uh, as everybody finds their way down here, you literally—I think you DM'd me or something, or like interacted—and it was just like, oh, "Yeah, the guy knows about music. Fuck it, like, come on down and talk." Just jab you every once in a while on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jump nice. into it, Mr. Marcus K. Dowling. Hey. He's down here. Uh, Philip Bassnight, got it right. <laughs> you, know, you know what would be funny? Because you could fall into the war on drugs. Thing for literally two years straight, instead of saying Adam Grandusiel, I said Andy. <laughs> so, yes, yes, the whole goddamn episode. Um, now, uh, Radiohead is a band that anybody listening to this podcast knows and loves. They are, uh, some people think they're innovators, some people think they're the greatest band of all time. Some not Eduardo just rolled his eyes at this, but uh, but um, but you know, back in 1993 when they got their start, you know, it started off on a Friday when they were in in like was it uh, just grade school, right? Is that what it's called in England? It's not university. They were sitting for their O levels. Yes, yeah, some, some, something, something like that. <laughs> but uh, they started this band called On a Friday. It was following the trends of stuff that was coming out right then. Uh, I think Blur was a little active. Uh, Oasis mm-hmm. was. Kicking around a little bit then, but really it was on the American side of things. The, the grunge explosion had just happened. Uh, you had Nirvana, you had Pearl Jam, you had Smashing Pumpkins, Gish, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, if, in hindsight, if you go back and, and listen to this album, uh, out of any of them, like, they clearly loved the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, but uh, they really hit with a song called Creep. And we're not going to play Creep because everybody <laughs> has fucking heard Creep. <laughs> That's uh, such a radiohead thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. But um but but they had this song Creep that was on MTV and you saw this uh you know Nirvana is on in your utero at the time. And you saw this band it was in a club it was like smoky lights and stuff and just and it was louder than hell and it's a great song. And uh and it was the introduction to the world to them. So what you did is you went out and bought it, right? Cuz mm-hmm. we're all on the grunge tip. Mm-hmm. At that time, at that time, I mean, not Philip, but uh, <laughs> sorry, I was three years old. In yeah, Germany. that's okay. <laughs> but but every everybody but Philip was on. The <laughs> um, but but uh, you you go out and and that you have these just this rail of bands coming out that are like very much like the second wave of Nirvana, the second wave of Smashing Pumpkins, loud guitars, some trios, some quartets. Like even Anthrax switched out. Even Anthrax, Anthrax switched yes. out their singer and brought in that dude for that album that they disown now. Yeah, where they sounded John Bush, like. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> so so you've got you know this sort of flooding the marketplace, and none of it is necessarily good as second and third wave bands are. 
But Creephead, and then when you got the album, you were hit with this song uh, first and foremost. Uh, the name of the song is You. It is one of like, four songs that have the word you in it on the album. <laughs> uh, and uh, what was your hot take there, Eduardo? Uh, it, it, it alienates Radiohead fans because it's about humans. Yes. And they just, <laughs> there you go. They object in principle. Uh, but, but this is where you saw the, the first seeds of, of the massive guitar uh, onslaught that Radiohead has done throughout their career uh, hitting. And uh, so it's a little bit of you. Johnny Greenwood, Philip Selway, Ed O'Brien, and Tom York. Tom, Tom, whatever, <laughs> however you fucking want to say it. Uh, if you were also of age where you just sort of bought up, like, you know, Anglophiles, like, Unite or whatever, and you just go, oh, here's an English band, I'm going to buy right. it. If this is the first thing you heard from this band, like, I would say back then that you were like, this band is fucking righteous. It is. Uh, you guys mentioned Faith No More. I heard Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, it, it, it ticks every box that a fan of rock and roll uh, is going to love. Yeah. So I want to make a point about this era of rock. This is kind of like my coming of age with rock era. Like in 89, I was 11. Uh, by the time that uh, Pablo Honey hit, I was 14, 15. So uh, the thing was, is like, okay, so all these big bands that are huge now in retrospect, all had like one single of opportunity to win you over. So like Faith No More had Epic and like Radiohead had Creep. Every single group like this goes and this is a, a thing that even stretches even further into the late 90s, early 2000s. So like Marcy Playground had Sex and Candy. Like they all had like one song and that was like the whole mm-hmm. push, the totality of the thing. But the intriguing part is like when you listen to the albums, you became a fan of the band. So, but you have to understand, there were like 30 million bands at this point. So that was the fascinating part. Well, and and who was out? Who's putting out albums now at this point? You know, I mentioned a few of them. In Utero was out. Doggy Style. Snoop Dogg. That's, a, yeah. I mean, Enter the Wu-Tang. That's 93, which, yeah. Which, to my shame, 
I finally heard in 2017. <laughs> congrats, congrats, let's, let's Kevin. Just, We're going to catch this you guy who, who runs a fucking music. <laughs> I, have, I, have some, I have some bad news about ODB. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Midnight Marauders, uh, Siamese Dream, which is the worst album made uh, by anybody ever. Wow. <laughs> For another podcast. Yeah. Uh, the Breeders' Last Splash was out then. Oh, yeah. Um, August and Everything After, Counting Crows, Zuropa, which is probably yes. one of U2's best albums that we're going to get to, I think, this year. Uh, Meatloaf made a comeback. Bad out of hell, yeah, too. Bad out of hell, too. But also, also Diggable Planets. We were just talking about Odd Mojo and, and that like hip-hop movement. Uh, Sting was on his way out with Ten Summoner's Tales. He <laughs> um, was. I'm sorry. Uh, everything after that is sort of like not okay. As was uh, Billy Joel with River of Dreams. Uh, also, locally speaking, oh, in on the kill taker, yeah. Fugazi. Right, right. So, so there, there was. This was a point where weird shit was just happening, like the, the concentration coming out of the eighties of pop and everything, and then punk. It just exploded into this, like, well, we guess anything we we can do anything. Yeah, and this was and, on MTV. Well, and and I think that I mean I, my relationship with this album is is totally kind of subjective and and personal, and it's partly because I think this is the only album in Radiohead's discography that I can go back to and like readily hear it with my ears from that time period. Like I can't go back and listen to Kid A with my two thousand or two thousand and one ears. I can't um I can't listen to OK Computer with my nineteen ninety seven ears, but I can go back to this one and listen to it with my nineteen ninety three ears and just hear everything that that kind of made this sound a little bit different and more interesting than uh than what else was going on. And and then, and again, subjectively, like the other thing I can hear is I can, I can instantly place myself back at Richie Coliseum where they opened with this song and they were opening for belly and it was like October of 93. And they were like, even then I could just tell like, this is a really fucking tight band. Like there's no, there's no questioning Radiohead's, uh, you know, chops and just overall proficiency as a band. And I think they're for a band that gets as much good press as they do their live show. I feel like people don't talk about it enough and they are just simply one of the tightest sounding, most competent sounding live, um, like major live touring acts out there, I think. Yeah. So there's a thing I wanted to, I, I found the Rolling Stone review of Pablo Honey Ooh. from 1993. They gave it one of those like two paragraph, 150 word mm -hmm. jobbies that you could probably get like $25 for as a writer in 1993. <laughs> But uh, and and this is fascinating. So like the last sentence is like present daily value of that twenty five bucks. Uh, right? No, like, it's fifteen, fifteen, yeah. ten cents a <laughs> week. So okay, so uh, if they don't implode from attitude overload, Radiohead warrant watching. This is in December, by the way, of nineteen ninety three. So the record like basically almost been out for a year at that point. And Rolling wow. Stone is finally getting to it because of all the stuff that, you know, was out that year. So you have to, like, parse through all this stuff. And then you get to, like, oh, yeah, MTV is pushing this band with this one song and everybody kind of likes it. So maybe we should do something with the album. So but it's what's, fascinating. What's, what's, what's weird about it is that I think we were all sort of saying that um, as we listened to you a few minutes ago, you know, there's the, the, the gap between that song in particular and what people love about the Benz is, is smaller than it looks in hindsight. But this is, and I can't think of another band with this problem where, like, their first album is so universally reviled by their fans yeah. who just, and it's not like it's, and to me, the weird thing is, like, it's not like Ministry, 
where Al Jorgensen was like, no, I had a vision for ministry, and the first album was synth pop against my right. wishes, and then I finally got to do the thing I wanted to do, and it was radically fucking different mm -hmm. from the first album. That's not the case here. This is like, for some reason, the band decided they don't like these songs, and it just became this, this like dogmatic thing that you're not allowed to like Pablo Honey. As I found out on Twitter, that like random dudes will fight you if you say Chad, something. Chad was ready. You Chad from Beauty Pill was ready. Chad from Beauty Pill was ready to fight you. You say something nice on Twitter about Pablo Honey, and people will line up to come beat your ass. Like, it's just, it's I mean, if, if Radiohead had broken up after this album, would our would kind of the 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 assessment of this album be different because we didn't right. have anything afterwards to compare it to. Yeah. Well, and that, obviously yeah, they went great on to, to greater heights. Well, and... it's, it's an interesting question, how we like consume media, how we appreciate bands and, and whatnot. Uh, they suffer, I think, largely from the sort of the Wilco effect. Like nobody knew who fucking Wilco was. And they put out, we talked about Summer Teeth, Philip. Uh, and I'm sure you did. Yeah, like musicians knew, like we we knew, but and and you find it if you're a younger musician, it's right, just again, you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you gravitate to it. But but Yankee Hotel Foxtrot came out. It had a narrative. It had it had a fucking movie for the narrative, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and so all of a sudden, it's just like everybody's favorite band. Uh, and then very similarly, they went back and they heard AM, and they're like, "This is trash." <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like I'm sorry. One of the best like country rock records ever made is not trash, and and I think radio had suffered a lot from that because if you look forward from what they were doing here, they they went from uh, you know Pablo Honey to the bends, which was amping up the guitar stuff, but also refining the ballads that are on this uh, into a uh, sugary saccharine thing that actually I, I can't listen to anymore. Like I, the bends is except for Moonshade Pool, probably my least favorite. No. Moonshade Pool and, and uh, King of Limbs. Both those albums are terrible. But but <laughs> if I just can't if I can't <laughs> the past ten years. The pa of, yeah, yeah. If, if yeah. I cancel them out, the Benz is actually my least favorite album because oh. it showed in my mind it did show a, a, an amping up of everything that's present here. But when you do that and you get better production, you lose a lot of the snarl, you lose a lot of the looseness and, and just like the cool factor. We'll play a little song that has a little of that cool factor, and then we're gonna eventually get to one of the ballads. But how do you could be like uh, a late like if Johnny Rotten went into in a different direction, mm -hmm. it could absolutely be a uh, a Public Image Limited song. But uh, and look, of course, who are they gonna be like hanging out around? Who are they gonna be seeing in, in the bars and shit? But uh, this is a little bit of how do you. I mentioned uh, I mentioned uh, Public Image Limited, Johnny Rotten and stuff. Uh, Drew, you said cigarettes and alcohol, but through the power of the internet, we discovered that that came after. Yeah, like that, that's it's it's the song that kind of jumps out into my head when I listen right. to this. But this came out first. Yeah, but you know, there's I guess kind of a a driving Brit pop rock sure, vibe sure. to this song. Sure, Blur had it. They had it. Like it, it you know, uh, the Stones, the Stones and the Beatles were really the only 
huge separation in English bands. Mm-hmm. There's not that much difference between like Stones and Faces or Small Faces. Right. Uh, and- there, but there is a shoegazy kind of um, quality to the guitars on this album, especially. Yeah. That's almost, and it's not like true shoegazy. It's more like, it's more like um, I think Verve's "A Storm in Heaven" came out in like '92, um, and it and the guitar sound there is very uh, kind of My Bloody Valentine ish, and that that comes up here like on "Prove Yourself" and especially later in the album. I think there's a little bit more of a droney kind of shoegazy sound going on. Even like the beginning of you, like yeah. for like the first 10 seconds mm-hmm. sounds mm-hmm. kind of like ride or, or yeah, like yeah, a My yeah. Bloody Valentine coming in before it turns into a Faith No More song. <laughs> and, and this is a horrible hole of my knowledge, but when was My Bloody Valentine's Loveless? 92, I think. 92. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like they're bringing in that influence. And, and it was, and it was like not that like there, there wasn't the critical consensus around Loveless in 1992 that there was in 2002. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, like, I think, I think if you were like, I remember, I remember someone putting Only Shallow on a mixtape for me, maybe in 94 or something. And that might've been my first exposure to them. Yeah. Um, Philip, as, as a, a young man who makes pop music, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we all sort of experienced this normally, like I don't like to go into like ageist stuff or anything, but sure. we all, we all did experience this like as it was happening, you came to it later. Yeah. I, well, this song, how do you, especially there's something light about it that you don't get in a lot of Radiohead songs. Yeah. And, and I can't put my finger on it exactly. There's almost a replacements esque quality. Ooh, okay. Like yeah. nice to meet me era, Tim yeah. era, even though yeah. Tim's not that fun. <laughs> Uh, Timmy's heavier, but, uh, <laughs> but like, there's a nice to meet me, like something about that yeah. guitar riff and the way he's sort of just throwing out the lyrics and, and it seems like, you know, there's something playful about it. Um, but yeah, there, you know, it is interesting for me. I have to go back and, and categorize things, um, to jump back to you. There's a moment where he sounds like Jeff Buckley. Oh yeah. yeah. To me, but then I had to look it up, and the the first time that Mojo Pin was performed or was put on record was it live at Shanae. Uh, yeah. And that was that was like nine months later. Nine months later. Uh, yeah. And then Grace was a full year later. So that tells me that that's wild. Radiohead, who's kind of trying to sound like an American band, is influencing a guy uh, who's uh, playing uh, an American yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who, I mean, who was influenced very much by his father's music. Totally, yeah. Who was, basically, he was doing, like, the, 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 the <laughs> freaky Bulls fucking Fairport yeah. convention. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> he was like, I'm going to take all the acid and, right. <laughs> and spit this back out at you. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the thing is that's in, intriguing about all this is, like, I think about always with when we do these discologists about the stuff that was spawned from this. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this era where Hole was like the best band in the world. And the funny thing about Hole is that like Courtney Love, God bless her, she's not necessarily like the world's greatest, most like inspired songwriter or creative in history of rock music. And there's definitely like pieces of like this album and stuff like Malibu and the stuff that really like did like crossover top 40 for them. And it's fascinating like when you think about like how well crafted this is and how intentional so much of it is where like we can name actual direct influences like bing 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 Mm -hmm. and then you hear them come out here and they're kind of rough but then as you grow as the sound grows and as like you know access to what inspired those sounds grows what you hear these things evolve into when you hear a record like this is really kind of fascinating yeah and and that's what's weird to me uh it's something that you and I have been discussing a lot, Eduardo, is the hatred 
the 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 revulsion for this album because if you take parts of this, it's it's like a it's like a, a pod like opening, and you can see all the parts going forward through Radiohead's catalog. I mean, to this day, yeah, you can see all the parts going forward. It it was all there in the beginning, wrapped up in what we enjoyed at the time was like a sort of a grungy like Brit pop type of package and a damn good one at that. Um, and I think part of that is the, uh, like, again, the Wilco effect, like this weird desire to like shit on anything that you weren't hip to maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, which happens. It's like you, you get into the band. Like I got into the, uh, Rick Springfield, the album after the good album, uh, dog, uh, dog eat dog. <laughs> yes. It happened to me all through the eighties. And, 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 and so I get into it after. So like, I'm a stand for Tao. And everybody's like, what the fuck, man? That album sucks. I'm like, nah, it's the greatest. And it's not. It's clearly not. <laughs> but there's, but, but I think there's also an idea of fandom that's tied to the idea that like, or it's, 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 it's rooted in the notion that like a band's, uh, uh, discography is kind of a story and there's mm -hmm. like a Voltron or some element to it where like it all needs to come together to tell a story. And I just can't, I just can't sign on to this idea that like Pablo honey is somehow not, not like part of the Radiohead story. And it's, and frankly, it seems kind of, and this is the, the part that I, that like annoys me about this, this sort of category of Radiohead fans. Like it seems really, it seems like someone who's not a fully formed adult, and who can't believe that, like, as as an eleven year old, you mean the that internet? they were that they owned a Skid Row, you know, like they owned a Skid Row CD, and they will never admit to it uh, or something. Like that's that's sort of the like like I'm sorry. This, now, this, they own a three eleven CD. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this 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 fucking band that does like Wicker Man claymation things and has a penchant for giving songs horrible names, but tells you to read Naomi Klein and learn about Clear Channel was once just a regular fucking band that wrote somewhat pedestrian songs that had uh, some, there was something special there. And whether it's augmented in hindsight or not, like, but, uh, is, is an important in, in point. In hindsight, but. there's there's signs of what to come. Yeah, that I You think wouldn't so. be able to predict. And like, and what I've noticed, especially it kind of came back to me listening to this this week is, you know, this kind of like, almost, I don't know, archaeology is the right term. It's something I used to trip out with Pink Floyd about a mm -hmm. lot, sure, where sure. I would connect these dots that might be like a decade apart where I'm <laughs> yeah. like, wait a second, like Corporal Clegg totally shows up in the wall. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And when I'm listening to like Pablo Honey, like I think a song that we're going to get to yeah. a little later, uh, Blowout, like oh, we could get to it now. We could get <laughs> to it now. Like this is a song that like I think could fit very nicely on in rainbows mm -hmm. it could fit on in rainbows it, it, it could fit on inhale to the thief yep, it could fit yep. on it maybe not okay computer most certainly the bends yep uh and i and i think uh, again this is a conversation to tip the, we, we talk a lot on g chat about shit before we do this kids uh so uh but uh, you, you know we were name checking songs that are a clear direct line to what they were going to do next and this is one of them and this is uh, we've been playing clips of this. I'm going to play the whole thing because this is fucking start to finish. This yeah. is this is just a massive fucking song. This is Blowout by Radiohead. So 
Yeah, Drew, you said something off mic. Like, everything is there. Everything in that song for this, for for what Radiohead will be and and has proven to be, is just right there. Yeah, I think you know, "Blowout" is a song that uh, you know, this is what uh, 80, 83, 84, mm-hmm. You know, but but could easily sit on uh, on in rainbows. You know, uh, m- yeah. well over a decade later. Um, but all the ingredients are there. The band is. It's the same band that you're hearing, you know, over the next two decades. Uh, they don't need to get better as musicians. They just need to figure out what they're going to really mm-hmm. do. And, and it comes down to a lot. Uh, uh, there's an article, I think it was in New Republic. Was that I think it was New Republic. New that, Republic? Yeah. Uh, the Radiohead Racket. <laughs> the Radiohead Racket, yeah. <laughs> Where it was an attempted slam on, on Tommy York's lyrics and stuff. And, you know, they named their band after a song off a Bad Talking Heads album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were they were they were huge fans of the title of this album is from a jerky boy sketch. Jerky boy, like, yeah. that's something. That's, <laughs> yeah. let's, like seriously, right, let's, right. let's meditate right. on that for but, a second. The album covers so, like based off of a Pixies album. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but they they were huge fans of Michael Stipe and REM. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the criticism of this article is basically saying that Tom York can't write lyrics, uh, and he's trying to take it too literally, and not and trying to separate it out from the art of what that is, but. Um, you know, with, with all of this being here, it, it's just, they're trying to serve the pop mode. And then from, as they spread out from here, it didn't necessarily require Tom York to actually write lyrics when they hit, I think for the biggest statements was like, okay, computer was an actual statement about where we were. Yeah. Um, and this wasn't. Like, this was about, uh, we're in rock and roll business. The Benz was about, we're in the rock and roll business. OK Computer was literally like, we're in the, we're, we're human business, and this is life. Well, I, I think the really interesting thing about their, about their career from the sort of mechanic standpoint is, first of all, is, is trying to understand that moment where they made the decision of like, no, we're not just happy being kind of a regular rock band that, that puts out albums. Like, our albums are going to be significant events and we're going to kind of mobilize all of this muscle and do guerrilla marketing before that was uh like a staple of every fucking major release um i think i think that's a really interesting thing the other kind of interesting dynamic for me is the idea of their of how much control they exercise over their image which is which is frankly part of the thrill of this record is that for a band that's so kind of careful and manicured and pr- almost precious about how they present themselves to the world, 
this is something they're clearly not that happy with being out, right? So there's like this transgressive thing you get to do, which is to listen to a Radiohead album that they don't like and don't want to talk about. Um, I'll make a point about the industry again in this era. So after the grunge thing happened and Kurt Cobain died, the industry didn't know what to do. So it's like, okay, we need a new star. We need a new guy who does the Cobain thing. We need a band that plays with big, heavy guitars that are at the front and a really competent drummer, like, holding the thing together at the bottom. So you have, like, 11,000 trillion million bands that kind of flood, all flood the marketplace. All of them undercooked and barely prepared for giant mainstream recognition. <laughs> Literally all of them. So if you yeah. go back and listen to every single album from every single band that you enjoy from this era, their first record is, like, vastly not as good as like albums two, three, four, five, six in the case of Radiohead seven, eight, nine, you know, like th there's a level of like complete shock that the industry went through and where I, again, I, all of this stuff was just, I feel like a lot of this was just rushed out. It's like, do you have nine or 10 songs? Do you, do you, do you, do you yeah. We'll put them out? We'll, we'll make you a bunch of money. Cause you, you fit the bill. And, and it, this it, is one of many of those bands. And it seemed weirdly plausible that any band at any point could sort of break through. Like, do you guys remember Green Jelly? <laughs> do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. Jelly. Yeah. Did you really? <laughs> no shit. Jelly yeah. Biafra? No, Green Jelly. As in, oh. No, as in Little Pig, Three Little, little pig, pig, Let Me In. <laughs> Not by the hair of my chin. They oh, had a claymation yeah. version of the Three Little Pigs. <laughs> oh, story. yes, 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 yes. That yeah. like, like, like at one point, the Dead Milkman, there was buzz around the Dead Milkman being the next big thing. Like it was just... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like there were just so many bands that were sort of vying. And in theory, it was kind of wide open, which is why Radiohead's decision to sort of pull back after the bends is even more interesting. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, because if you have the opportunity to like recast your history as a band why not like if you have the ability to say okay this first record we put out we were forced we were put over a barrel we had to like rush out a bunch of demos and like get them remastered and recut and do all the work that you have to do in the studio and you guys are musicians so you know the feeling like if, if a major label said to you hey we need 16 tracks from you guys and you have eight ready to go and you have eight things that are like barely mastered barely mixed and you have to like rush into the studio and like get this stuff together. The next time you put out an album, you're going to be like, listen, guys, chill out, stay back. We're not listening to you guys. No way, no how. We're taking our time. And our image is going to be so manicured that you have no way that you're going to be able to get your hands anywhere into this. Well, having been on the road for a year, too, can help. So yeah. you've got a year on the road touring yeah. this album and yeah. you're talking about what you want to do next and you're thinking about right. it. And yeah, I mean, I, and I don't know that they were under any pressure, like for this album specifically, possibly the bands, uh, but, uh, you know, people want it and they took advantage of it. But again, they came out like some, some I tried to do is look up bands. You mentioned Green Jelly and, and fair, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> we're, 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 we're totally YouTubing that video after this. Yeah, we are. Yeah, so they were, and they were Green Jello and, originally. And now that's it. Now that's, become Green Jelly. now that's burned in my brain. Now yeah. I remember yep. like I was watching it uh, back in the day. But, you know, I struggle to think of the bands that weren't Radiohead back then. And I think that's sort of the point about this album and about all the stuff that came out. Because, you know, this was... Maybe not the, the fully second wave, but it was 1.5, right? 
And there were a lot of bands that were about to, so like... There were a lot of bands. Well, like, so Downward Spiral is what, 94? Yeah. 95, right? So... So Nine Inch Nails is about to, like, blow up? Yeah, I mean, I think the Broken EP would have been out at this time, right? In 92 or 93. Um, What's interesting to me, though, is it's it's hard to listen to this album with and, and avoid kind of identifying the influences that they're they're wearing on their mm-hmm. sleeve they're yep. obviously a band wearing a number of different hats trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and just a few years later nobody's trying to necessarily figure out their influences because they are just a, a whole new alien breed yeah. of thing that they put out with like okay computer and then it becomes all of these bands you know into the oos <laughs> or whatever that yeah. were influenced yeah. by, right. that. by, by so it kind of computer. flipped yeah, the yeah, script yeah, yeah, or yeah. the script once they figured out what they were doing um but you know before before that hit actually they were uh you know hallmark going up to that was ballads right uh and this is something i want to play this song and i want to hear from you philip on this after this because uh one thing that radiohead has done later in their career uh has made a lot of shitty ballads <laughs> I you know they've, uh, they've left us high. They've left us dry. <laughs> See, and, that, and that's that's weirdly now in hindsight. When that came out, I felt it. Yeah. I was all about it. But in hindsight, I always felt this song more. And and now this is the only thing I go back to because it is, uh, it, it's expanding. It's two songs past creep. It is either a a plea. Uh, for somebody who is in a relationship, or it is the actual creep, the guy he's sitting outside the window jerking off. But we, no, I, I, I'm serious. Well, that guy, like, that guy, awfully yeah, carnal. Yeah, that, that guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but 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 it's unclear, and, and that's sort of the magic of this that they, and I think, eventually fed into their more like political songs and their more edgy songs and Kid A and stuff like this and OK Computer. Like you don't quite know what's going on, and you think it's one thing. Uh, a beautiful ballad, and then you find out that it's really not. It's about concentration yeah. camps. Just thinking about you. about you. Your red coats are here. Your eyes on my wall. Your teeth are there. But I'm still no one. And you're not star. What do you care? Been thinking about you. There's no rest Should I still love you Still see you in bed But I'm playing with myself What you can When the other man If I fight better All the things you got All the things you need You bought your cigarettes And private company To come and see Your teeth are on my wall. Your eyes are over there. So not only could this just be a guy creeping out outside, it could be like a, a song to Dahmer, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the the the, the creep factor. You, you're drawn in by like, oh, this is sensitive. You've got an acoustic guitar. It's like just it's, it's yeah, feeling his heart, man. But like, really, it, it's sort of describing some horrible, despicable behavior that we know now. Like in in the era of Me Too, 
like this is toxic masculinity. Well, it's also I think it I think the the maybe central uh, kind of concept that it's working with too is the idea of fame as something that translates into ownership and that dehumanizes. Yeah, fame is the, part of it. Yeah, they're and, already uh, anticipating we're going to be fucking yeah, famous. Yeah, which is which is the weird part because because let's not forget that they put out a movie that that was supposed to make you feel sorry about the fact that they had to tour a lot and give interviews, <laughs> which is just <laughs> was something. that meeting people is easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, feel like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of musicians yeah, yeah. who would be like, you know, yeah. spending a year doing that is maybe not the worst thing that could happen to someone. But so, but so Phil, break, break down that <laughs> to your pop sensibilities that song a little bit to you. I mean, that seems a little straightforward, right? But how do you get into as a songwriter if if you're gonna insert that level of like subversion, or do you even know? I, I mean, well, I mean, there's always the I didn't I actually I haven't spent that much time with this song and yeah. I didn't realize it was so uh, sinister. Yeah, but there's always <laughs> the inclination. You know, maybe the initial theme for the song comes to you and you start working that out, and then you. At, you know, at some point, two weeks later, say, yeah, but what if there was a double meaning? Yeah. And you have to, a lot of times, pump the brakes in that situation and say, <laughs> right. all right, listen, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Like, yeah, this can work. And, you know, a turn of phrase that is really beautiful, like I always think of uh, that one Sufjan song about John Wayne Gacy mm -hmm. Jr., oh, yeah. where he, like, then switches it and says, but aren't we all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. And yeah, exactly. No, or or he says, no. or, or, what is he say? maybe he says, me, or, I'm also, or, I know that, or yeah. those feelings too, something like that. And sometimes it works. Again, yeah, uh, there is, you know, even in that case, something to rebel against. But um, no, but I get that, and I, I don't. I think it is indicative, maybe, of the early state that Radiohead was in, yeah. of like not being able to. I don't know. Well, the, but also, this, I mean, that, that the, era is all about pushing boundaries. It is. And, that sort of thing. Yeah. and shock value and in a way that's like. In one way they transcended, and I think they transcend a little bit by the end of the album and songs like Largy and Blowout, which we already played, is that, you know, this is, like I say, pushing boundaries, but it is that that double entendre mm -hmm. that you got to come up with. Uh, but what that developed into for them was. Uh, a more politically charged, a, a more socially charged thing than just being like, you know, aren't I clever? Right. Like it's like, yeah, we're clever and we're pointed, and we we are trying to like change the world, it, wh however over earnestly it, it is. Right. That, that sounds earnest as fuck. I, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, if you, it is. If you, no, yeah. You even if you took out the possible serial killer vibes, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, it, it's like it's like some, somewhere Tom York is feeling like it's going to be edgy if I say I'm jerking off. Like that that happened, and and <laughs> and, and, and it ended up in the song, and it's like okay, all well, right, man. Yeah. Maybe we've just discovered what Radiohead fans cannot relate to. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> you think? I, I I do think that that there's um there uh, so so I wonder about holding up Radiohead. Um, what's the right way to say this? I worry about the way that Radiohead is glorified mm. and that a lot of bands will assume that, that Radiohead's kind of artistic choices and the framework of their career is the right way to develop as a quote unquote serious artist. Um, and, and I don't think, and, and, you know, I think, I think part of where I'm, I'm sort of, uh, maybe at odds with like the kind of the dominant narrative around Radiohead is that I, I, 
I think they're, as I've said, I think they're a great live band. I think they've they've put out some some really great records. I think they're great, sort of like at the crap. But there's something to me that makes them kind of tiresome or exhausting, and it's like everything has to be so cerebral and everything in its right place. And, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and no, that's a that's a there, good there. take. But <laughs> but there's something fun on this record about hearing Tom York snarl and thinking like, yeah. oh, he's not snarling yeah. at the concept of like neoliberalism. <laughs> He's, he's snarling at like an act trying to be yeah. a rock star. Like, yeah. Right, right. He's trying. First of all, he's <laughs> trying to rock, and yeah. second of all, he might be angry at an actual person. Yeah. <laughs> like, which, 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 which the best example of that is actually so. On the, this was uh, Dowling's your pick for what you were going to yeah, play. Yes. Uh, I'll, we'll, I'll tell the story after. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about about why you want to play it, but uh, you know, as far as hilarious, uh, ironic, but. Like, dude, you're in a band. Just stop. Yeah. Like, like misfires. Yeah. This goes. It's such a good take of the But, but, but it does. But it still doesn't change the fact that it fucking rocks uh, because anyone can play guitar. You know that is Drew. You you're, you mentioned finest work song, but uh, you know as the elders in the room and stuff, and and having played music for so long, like that drums is tight as fuck. The guitar is tight as fuck. It's like what it's it's you want a big noise, right? When you when you hit shit or play shit, yeah, and they get it. Like yeah. straight straight out. Uh, no, I mean the beats there, the grooves there, uh, the production. I mean the, the the snare sound actually sounds exactly like Finest Works yeah. from from yeah. from uh, yeah. REM. Uh, but the you know the band is tight. The band's I mean, tight. It's ridiculous how tight they are, and they're just making this big dumb noise with fucking him caterwauling over it, making fun of the industry that he's just now launching an entire sub industry of by making this fucking album. <laughs> and- uh, not it doesn't even see he doesn't even seem to be that aware of how good his band is. <laughs> I mean, not anyone can play guitar like Johnny Greenwood. Like, right, right. You get hints of it on Blowout, but I think there are like part of maybe something that we we've grazed over here is like 
the influence of Radiohead's guitar work cannot be overstated. Like on just on like the number of people that it influences that are my age, like we all want to have a little bit of that. You know what I mean? Like Weird Fishes is just yeah. in your brain all the time. Like you can't avoid that. And like everything on OK Computer, this like all those tones and the way that it just like knocks you out when some of the guitars come in. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if it was just totally a joke, but it, he seems unaware of, there seems to be a disconnect. And that's sort of the <laughs> yeah. compelling thing about well, the song. Uh, yeah, I, I, th I think it is a little, I mean, if you were, especially uh, on the other side of the ocean, if you were coming up, it was a thing to like rail against like the man. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. a very different social structure and, and very different musical structure. And look, I, I don't know, Britain's small, right? The U.S. is huge, yeah. so so a lot of things didn't happen that happened there. For example, the Beatles are never going to happen in America, <laughs> like ever. There's there's zero chance of that happening. But you have everything mashed into a smaller space, and you get the Beatles, you get the Stones, you get Radiohead, you get bands like that. And so, I I think as we've seen in later works by him, Tommy York definitely has a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. He's a funny dude. He's a super honest dude, but. But he also, uh, you know, it is that punk spirit that wherever that comes from, mm -hmm. you know, uh, well, I mean, it comes from Roger Waters has it. It comes from having your country decimated in World War II and growing up like that. And I think yeah. music industry executives are, are pretty accustomed to the artists they sign, you know, slagging them in a sense where, you know, they might get worried if they don't like, Hey, it might be time for you to, <laughs> to dump on us a little bit, you know, for some, some <laughs> more, uh, right. More we'd like to get richer, yeah. right. <laughs> so, so I want to interlude with a story really quick that actually leads well into a conclusion for this podcast. Um, in 1993, I was in summer camp. I was 15 years old and, uh, we had a, I was at camp shoulder for boys in Greeley, Pennsylvania, which is in the middle of the, uh, the Poconos. So we had this like, you know, off camp, off site day where you go to the mall. And so it's like, you know, you can imagine it's 150 like teenage boys running amok in a mall. So I I was I had just become a radio DJ at uh, Wild Camp Shahola Radio, WCSR FM. And I was all about like saying that I was like some kind of like indie rock god. That was like part of that was like one of the three shows I had that summer. And I uh, went into the you were like, oh, store. you watch Headbangers Ball? Oh. I watch I watch 120 Minutes. No, exactly. No, that was it. <laughs> just a... That was totally it. I was that guy. I just discovered 120 Minutes. So I'm like, I'm going to do a whole radio show about indie rock. It would be all about this. And so everything was just like basically like all of the bands that we've talked about on this podcast, like over and over again. Maybe also some spin doctors tossed in there for good measure. I uh, so Total I wet sprocket. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> Shame about Ray. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I um, so I so I go to the store and this guy he like looks at me and I go I want to get some Nirvana because I just like I become a fan of In Utero like I was not a fan of Smells Like Teen Spirit Smells Like Teen Spirit ruined my life because it was like I was all about hair metal it was the greatest the invention of my entire natural born life and so the guy looks at me when I go and I say I want some Nirvana he goes Hey man the actual best band in the world is Radiohead. And I'm like, the guys who did Creep? And he's like, yeah, Creep is the best song in the world. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you're, you're, you're crazy. And he's like, <laughs> and then he proceeds to like, tell me that Tom York is the second coming of Jim Morrison. So funny, I was doing some research on this song and I, I could read this off of uh, songfacts.com. 
Tom York got the idea for the famous line, I want to be Jim Morrison, which is in Anyone Can Play Guitar, after seeing Oliver Stone's movie The Doors. Boo. The line is meant to convey York's dissatisfaction <laughs> with the mythical status Morrison has given. Right. This was made clear in the band's appearance at the MTV Beach House. So let's think about this for a second. (laughs) They were in Panama City, Florida, playing this song for drunk frat boys and drunk sorority girls. That's amazing. That's next level. And he said, maybe (laughs) if I grow my hair, I can become Jim Morrison before shouting, fat, ugly, dead. (laughs) 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 Which adds a whole other level to like my conversation. So I ended up, so I ended up buying Pablo Honey. Is the long is the long story short because <laughs> this guy made me listen to all of Pablo Honey in his record store. So it was like it was like a it was like a place where like a Sam Goody once was, <laughs> and then like the Sam Goody left. What came in? So was it a Kemp Mill that came in? After no, it was Sam just Goody? like Feather it was just like some random guys like you know record collection. He bought the leftover like, inventory. Yeah, mixed with like some <laughs> leftover inventory, some like B level rap, and then like. All of the new stuff, because he was able to get that, like you know, from a, from a distributor. Obviously, was this when CDs were still sold with the extra cardboard oh, yeah. totally. and the Rock the Vote uh, stuff? Totally on the and back, absolutely, the Motor Voter. So yeah. I want to tell you guys also something about this song that Johnny Greenwood played guitar with a paintbrush yeah. while making this song, mm-hmm. which is nuts. That, that, that's so nineties. <laughs> yeah. and, and in fact, Mr. Big wants their royalties. <laughs> Did they put it on a drill? Like, come on, man. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, the, that's the mythology of this era, though. It is. It is. And it's and it's great. Off. It's great because you wanted to be I mean, the Pixies were floating around here somewhere. It's floating around all over. Yeah. Pablo yeah. Honey. Yeah. yeah floating around all over Pablo Honey. And, and you wanted Ripcord to have. Like, and, yeah. and actually, I don't think we've. No, we have. We talked about one. Prove of the, yourself. The, is, new, uh, the new album. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, put yourself... deal on those backing vocals, and you've got yeah, it. you know. So, so it, it it was a weird product of of all these things that came before and into their own thing, and because they proved to be their own thing and be the band that, like the the little band that could, um, you know. Look, we we don't necessarily like uh, a moon shaped pool here. Uh, I'm speaking for me and Eduardo, but <laughs> but that uh, doesn't erase the fact that it was a hit. It was it was a massive hit. That's whatever them. passes for a hit, and yeah, yeah, these yeah. sad it's, it's times we live hit. in. <laughs> and and again, like you, you could hear everything starting here. I, and, I, and I wanted to illustrate as as we wrap this up real quick. I want to go down the songs, and we don't rate albums at all anymore. But I, I do want to. You got, you got a hit or miss. Uh, I'm going to name a few songs off this. And then we're going to go around the room and say hit or miss. And and so you, Philip. Hit. Drew. Hit. 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 How about, uh, well, Creep. That, that We don't even have to. Stop whispering. Hit. 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 It, it, it's a hit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it, <laughs> and it's another one of those ones that, you know, if you want to kind of see where, where Radiohead is going to go, yeah. Stop Whispering is one of the ones yep. that gives you those those strong It hits. also, anytime you hear a U2 comparison, I think that maybe. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That, absolutely. That song specifically, yeah. Ripcord. <sighs> oh, oh. Miss? It's a, it's a near miss. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's, 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 it's vegetable. <laughs> vegetable. It's serviceable. It's okay. A, yeah. Okay. Uh, Lurgy. 
Hit. 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 Um, how about, uh, was it thinking about you? Hit. No? Yeah, you Drew? know, I think I, I skipped that one when I was listening to it, oh, you man. know, or like, yeah. The, How'd the, you feel about it tonight? Uh, the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The same. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe, Eduardo, we've revealed that uh, we can find the source of this hatred. I <laughs> I was <laughs> expecting, like, all hit. Because for me, every song what? I listened was, like, a hit. Every song on this album, like for me, is is just an absolute hit. And maybe Pablo Honey Sands thinking about you could oh. have changed the equation for Radio Hands World Radiohead fans worldwide. Yeah, I mean I I I do think there's some this this album, unlike most albums at the time, it finishes really strong. Like mm-hmm. the last five or six songs on it, like this is prime sort of like, oh, put your four good songs, mm-hmm. make those like songs one two four and six right and then who cares about the back half of the yeah. album like no one mm-hmm. right like you already got there 1299 it was probably more than that at circuit <laughs> city but uh i think that so like so so what's at the end it's like prove yourself vegetable well, ripcord vegetable prove yourself i can't yeah G. those are the, that that oh. that run of 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 like everything after ripcord there i think is absolutely fucking stellar yeah. i think and and ripcord isn't bad it's just sort of it's just kind of pedestrian but it's not uncommon to see like a band you know close an album out with kind of the stuff that maybe they did late in the process of making that album well, that foreshadows kind of where their head is you know it's better in you, a way it's interesting to bring that up because they did it and wilco did it you know not to keep bringing up wilco but uh are known for their closing tracks yeah like that's, going that's... forward they are ap- absolutely the tracks that people that's look forward to. That's the really where we're headed. Yeah. yeah. There's, closing well, not, but there's also single where they're headed. They're the most dramatic and divorced from the entire album. Mm. They're like, we were doing this thing and it's like, here's a, here's a thing. And Wilco took it to like extremes and made like, what, like eight minutes of silence. Yeah. But when he got to the late grades. So beautiful. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, it, it's a, uh, isn't True Love Waits the last one on uh, Moonshade Pool? It is, yeah. And that's, that's a that's the best. a yeah. And that's and it doesn't it doesn't it's like ninety five. And that yeah. song yeah. was an outtake from this, if that yeah. tells you anything. Yeah. So uh which is to say that uh haters don't hate. Like <laughs> like the band you love was always here. And I and I think like with anything, like when you get into a band, whether it's Radiohead, whether it's Led Zeppelin, Eduardo, whether it's TBD, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, the, the the greatest enjoyment, uh, at least that I have as a music fan, is I discover a band, and regardless of where I discover it, then I go back and look at their entire like output, because a band can't be defined by a simple album, because they're human beings. Come on. I mean, maybe Radiohead tells us a little bit about how to take this album because they, yeah. they, for a long time, they hated Creep yeah. mm-hmm. and they refused to play it yeah. live. And then for a while, they would like drop it in occasionally, mm-hmm. like a bust out on stage yep. as like an ironic take. Like we're going to ironically play this song. Yeah. But I think recently, and I haven't, I've never seen it live, but recently, I think on their last tour, they've actually been playing Creep a lot. Yeah. And it seems like it's like post irony creep. Like now it's like they've kind of come around and they've said, you know what? We accept that this is a song that we can now unironically enjoy with our fans. And we can all be in a stadium singing along to this song and enjoy it. It was Tom and Johnny sitting backstage. He's like, mate, we wrote creep. (laughs) (laughs) And just fucking doing it. Like, yeah. And uh, yeah, so 
Um, go out and check this out if you're a Radiohead fan. Don't like I said, do not hate on this album, fucking. And uh, and if you have if you like have comments about this, hit us up at uh, podcast at junkyglasses dot com. Eduardo will feel these. Come yeah, uh, come, uh, come come at him. Come fight me on Twitter. Come fight me on Twitter. <laughs> do that. Uh, what what are you now? Uh, you're the, uh, you're I'm, the I'm I'm double under Eduardo double underscore two oh nine. Has the memo come out yet? Um, I am. I, I need to. I need to disclaim. I have no relationship to okay. that news. <laughs> Although it gives me great pleasure that uh, the guys on Pod Save couldn't pronounce his last. They kept calling him Nunez, and I was like, "Oh, it happens to him too." That's fucking. Yeah, fantastic. we can't. We can't either. So. <laughs> we we can't either, sir. Uh, thank you guys for coming down, uh, Drew. Hopefully, you'll be back soon uh, on a few more episodes. Philip, you know, like you're welcome back anytime. Twice in a week. So. Yeah, twice in a week. And Mr. Dowling, and you're out. And uh, all right, we're out of here. I wish I was special You're so fucking special But I'm a creep Radiohead's Pablo Honey for you, a modern classic, despite what the haters say. We are not haters down here. Um, it was a really fun conversation, and uh, you know we celebrate Radiohead's entire catalog, except possibly Moonshade Pool and King of Limbs. I don't know. It's always so weird because like people, <laughs> like that first spark for any band, that first burst of creativity, their first album. You talk about the sophomore. Uh, slump. That's because the first album is always amazing, and it's so weird to see uh, in in not just Radiohead but a couple other bands how their trajectory is that people go back to that first album. I'm like, nah, that's not it, and uh, and then celebrate the album as they albums as they run out of steam later on down the line. Um, but uh, hopefully, if you if you were a fan of this album, then then hopefully we just validated all your all your opinions. Uh, you can play this for your friends. They see see I'm right. Uh, if if you weren't and and you listened in any ways, hopefully we maybe changed your mind a little bit. I uh, uh, I, I love this album. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. It's lightweight. It's uh, but but I love it. And and that's and uh, all the people down here I think kind of love it too. Um, that is about it for our podcast this week. Uh, once again, thank you for thank you guys for indulging me uh, in a little rant up top. But uh, it's important and. Uh, and I am a firm believer that if you have a voice, uh, you should use it. And uh, we do have a voice and a platform, and I, I intend to goddamn well use it. So um, maybe I hope you don't hear have to hear more about this, but uh, you, you can be sure that if it, if it keeps going, uh, then we will be talking about it. Maybe more music. Um, so that's it. That's our podcast. If you like what you heard. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave us a rating or a message there. And uh, you can tell your friends about it. Uh, you can also listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, Mixcloud. You can listen to us on Spotify. Uh, we are hosted, as always, by Pippa. Pippa.io. If you need a podcast, you go there, give them a little, a few bucks, and they're going to suddenly become your best friend. They're going to host your stuff. They're going to help you host your stuff, give you advice, and incredibly responsive tech support. And they're going to get you out on all the platforms that you need to get out on. 
uh, like the aforementioned Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, also, as always, big thanks to uh, Jamal Gray for donating the music that you hear underneath right now. Quite a gardener. His project is up on Bandcamp. Uh, he's got some more in the pipe this year. Hopefully we'll be seeing some Nog Champa. I would, and I, I haven't talked to him about this, I would love to see a Reaganomics EP. Because uh, that band is fucking rad. Um, yeah, and that's it. So coming up in the next few days on Thursday, our good friend, the uh, mighty Marcus J. Moore, is going to be hanging out with me and Marcus down here to talk about Ryan Porter's new album, The Optimist, Ryan Porter of the West Coast Get Down. Uh, and then then we have our, our Sounds of D.C., the second installment coming up. Uh, i got some special stuff planned for that, but it is Black History Month, so it's going to be focused on that and and the history of black music in in the district that we live in, in the district and around. Uh, and then a little later down the pipe, uh, we've got, uh, I think we're going to be talking about the Brandy Carlisle album that just came out. It's rather, rather nice. And Lucy Dacus has a new album coming out. You might have heard. Historian, uh, that's coming up in the first of the month in March. So lots of good stuff. And uh, maybe a few interviews here and there. Uh, so we'll be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. See you soon. No, <laughs> 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 <laughs>